0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Extraction Specialist is the renegade rallyer she told you not to worry about. We've got five new decklists in Modern and Pioneer. Then on the flashback, testing results from Riveteers Week which deck got the jund 5-0 that's all coming up on faithless brewing thanks for listening and enjoy the show
1: to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend. He is the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast, and he's here to talk to us. His name is Caved Online. It's Dan Schreer in real life. Dan, what's going on?
0: Doing well, David. Excited to talk to you and to you and whoever out there might be listening.
1: Is that like a reference to aliens or... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, do podcasts, like, get broadcast out into space? I guess they're not, like, traditional TV and radio waves, right? Like, Faithless Brewing will not reach Alpha Centauri at some point.
1: Right. So, like, when the sequel to Contact gets made, they won't, like, recreate uh, an image of a (laughs) list based on... Yeah, exactly. Jodie Foster will have to explain, like, all right, they were trying to lower the mana curve. (laughs)
0: I feel like the aliens would understand. They would like, you know, brewing has got to be the universal language in some
1: way. They'd be like, until Lunar Scooter is unbanned, we will raise the temperature of your planet 100 degrees (laughs) a day, every day.
0: (laughs) Finally, someone understands us. Yeah. So, today is our brew session, which means we've got a new carb we're going to work on. We are also going to have our flashback segment where we tested some Jund, or Riveteers if you prefer lists last week, so we'll tell you about how all that went. Before we begin, let's just give a quick shout-out to our Patreon, a reminder that if you enjoy the show and would like to support what we do, the best way to do so is by joining our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pleasure any tier you're comfortable with. That'll get you access to our Discord channel, we got just an awesome community of crazy brewers ready to chop it up with you workshop ideas dissect the latest tech it's a great place to come hang out
1: yeah absolutely and um you know as as we're in the voting process for our new car to brew around this is a time to make your voice heard um and if you are interested in additional media maybe you're not a big podcast listener even though you're listening to this podcast. We are branching out into other forms of social media. Dan has been recording some of his leagues and providing some uh, little play-by-play action, his thought process, uh, observations on cards as uh, as the league unfolds. And so we've gotten a lot of good feedback on that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to talk about a jung list that I played today, and I believe the league will already be up on YouTube by the time this episode is out. So if you want to just follow along... Uh, you can find us on our YouTube channel there and see the gameplay with your own two eyes. All right, enough of that. Shall we dive into our carb for the week?
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: Rescue Expert, as we thought the carb was called. It's actually called Extraction Specialist, two and a white human rogue for a 3-2 lifelink when Extraction Specialist enters a battlefield. Return target creature card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature can't attack or block for as long as you control Extraction Specialist. And if that clause sounds weird, the artwork explains it all. You know, you have the heroic rescuer here and he's gone in and like grabbed someone. He's, He's clutching you safe, right? You don't have to do any fighting for as long as you're in the safe hands of the Extraction Specialist. Once he's dead though... You're back in the fray. Good luck to you.
1: Right, exactly then. (laughs) That's kind of a funny thought. Like you shoot the person carrying someone out and then they're like, all right, now it's time to scrap. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. So it's a pretty straightforward card in terms of like rules go. The only thing that might be ambiguous is this clause. As long as you control extraction specialists. That refers only to this particular copy of the Extraction Specialist. So if you control multiple copies, they don't uh, don't all imprison the same card. Similarly, if you blink your Extraction Specialist, which is something you might want to do to get more value, um, that breaks the association between the Rescuer and the card that was rescued. And that also applies to doing anything like blinking the two-drop that you brought back. If you blink that, it's now freed from its... Relationship to the extraction specialist, and it can attack and block freely. You are free to use other abilities, whether those are activated abilities, static effects, whatever. You know, attacking and blocking is not for everyone, so if you just want that, there's almost no drawback on the extraction specialist. And finally, we'll note the creature types human, an excellent tribe, and rogue, a not so excellent tribe. Rogues, you know, they have some tribal cards, but not in white. Right, rogues is like a demure tribe. The only irrelevant thing about a white rogue is that you know the party mechanic, which we'll talk about a little later on, does tend to be concentrated in white, and you know there were not that many rogues available previously. So this is an upgrade in in that one specific respect.
1: Yeah, and uh, I you know like you said we'll get to it later, but I don't know that the rogue is going to matter. But if it's going to matter, the list you're proposing is the one that will tell the tale. <laughs>
0: All right, so on to some high-level key questions as we're thinking about extraction specialist and what we can do with it, what we want to do with it. Um, I'll just rattle off these questions, and David, you can help me sort out these thoughts. In terms of power level, like how strong is the extraction specialist? How good is this effect?
1: Okay, so in modern, the effect is weaker, but the type of two drops you can get back are better. So, you know, I think it's like a B effect if you're getting everything, right? If you get to cast this on curve on turn three, you get to get back a one or two drop that is essential to whatever your deck's plan is. Is it Thalia? Uh, hopefully it's Thalia. I think Thalia is awesome. Um,
0: <laughs> Flow chart. Is it Thalia? <laughs> I
1: hope so. <laughs> if yes, <laughs> high five. Um, in Pioneer, the 3-2 body is a lot better. 3-2 lifelink is, is actually really good. Uh, there's a lot of aggro in the format. There's a lot of creature decks. You're gonna force them to spend a removal spell on this, which means the creature you get back is basically just free, right? They're, they're going to have to kill this, but the two drops you get back are much worse. So I think maybe in a fully kicked version of this, in in if you if you let me use the word kicks uh, loosely here, in Pioneer is like a B plus, and in in Modern is a B. It's closer than you think uh, because the as the different aspects of the card are are a little better.
0: Yeah, for a 3-2 and lifelink, how much would I expect to pay for that? I think 2-mana for a 3-2 lifelink is hard to find. So it's almost worth like a little more than 2-mana just for that body. And then you also get not just another set of stats, but an actual separate card. Obviously, splitting your stats among two cards is preferable in, in every case. So I feel like, you know, it's almost like a mini collected Company... It's like an above-average company hit would be extraction specialist returning a powerful two-drop, and you got to do it for just three mana.
1: Yeah, and you don't, and, and you have control, right? So you get to know, a like you get to sometimes just attack a two-drop into you know it seems like a bad trade or whatever, but you know you're getting it back, right? If they kill it, um, yeah, uh, you know. Obviously, I have my problems with collective company. We've talked about it. It also allows you to avoid playing green.
0: Yeah, I mean Collected company has so many deck building considerations. The colors and then you have to do the math like how many hits do I have or are they at the right spots on the curve etc. Extraction specialist much more forgiving, right? You can play as many copies as you want, can be 1, can be 4 and you can pick your spots much more easily.
1: Also, I think company really privileges like an insane number of three drops, which means your deck mm-hmm. is super overloaded at 3 which means you probably have to play a bunch of 1-mana accelerants, and then like a lot of your decisions kind of cascade from there. This really prompts you out to play a a natural curve. like You just play 1-drop, 2-drop, this on 3 is fine, because if you're playing powerful 1- and 2-drops that they have to kill, you don't have to do extra work necessarily to put something in the graveyard. You can just say, like, look, if Thalia or whatever stays in play, Aspirant, whatever your 2-drop is, Meddling Mage, I'm probably in great shape. So if you don't kill this, that's fine. I'm just going to beat you down with it or whatever. And if you do, then this is, like you said, like a three mana superior collected company. Because I get a 3-2 lifelink no matter what, which is highly preferable in certain matchups. And I'm getting back a 2-2 that you thought was good enough to have to kill.
0: So it sounds like we're pretty happy with the theoretical ceiling of the card. In the best case scenarios, um, it's doing something quite nice, possibly best in class uh, among three drops. With an asterisk, because I've got to ask you this next question. What about Renegade Railer? Extremely similar effect, right? Renegade Rallyer and Extraction Specialist. And Rallyer, in my opinion, is a card that has been a little bit disappointing.
1: Yeah, Rallyer obviously, very different card in Modern because it's very easy to trigger, uh, as as we've learned from Fatal Push, the uh, the claws. So, Renegade Rallyer in a pinch, can always just get back a land. It can be a ramp spell. Uh, it can get back Ether Vial. It can get back uh, Pyre. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... I'm spacing on other cards we might want. Um, so I think Renegade Rallyer is better in decks that have fetch lands, which is a lot of them. But in, in Modern. In Pioneer, though, it's very hard to trigger Renegade Rallier. So, uh, And the second color is not trivial to add. So if you just want to play white or you don't want to play green, then this is way, way better in uh, pioneer and then the lifelink is actually much more relevant again in pioneer because it is such an aggressive format
0: yeah i mean lifelink is is huge one of the reasons renegade rallier disappoints me is that oftentimes you made all these concessions and you had a certain play pattern to make sure you got your revolt trigger and then what do you have to show for it you have a 3-2 body and you have to like again try to work to make that relevant to the game tack Lifelink on, and suddenly it's like, okay, this is going to make a difference in the game. Um, even if it like forces them to just cast a removal spell right away, Renegade Rallier can't do that. They can just ignore it. So I find that um, even though it's it's much more narrow on what you can return, Extraction Specialist probably is just like a much higher floor. I think it will impact the games much more reliably than Renegade Rallier will, even in modern. I hate to say it.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Lifelink is worth... Like at least a mana, right? It's, it sounds strange to say it, but it just means you can't race. Like it, it races a six power creature, uh, three, three power lifelink.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and just like always working, not having to worry about revolt. A lot of like the tricky lines work the same. Like if you were going to Eldritch Evolution or something, then Attraction Specialist and rally Rallyer do the same thing. If you are going to uh,
1: Neoform, I believe you mean to say? <laughs> Yes. From exactly. our first list.
0: <laughs> exactly. Episode 1, Neoform Your Strength of Or not Strength of Geist, because that already came back. Neoform Your Voice of Resurgence. Get that Renegade Rail here. Right. <laughs> so, um, we like Extraction Specialist a little better, I think. Now let me ask you about the uh, fiddly bits of Extraction Specialist. First question what about this pacifism clause, the can't attack or block? Should I be concerned about that? Like, do I care? Do I just want to let the specialist die naturally? Or do I want to, like, go out of my way to make sure that I'm not hamstrung by that clause?
1: I don't think you... I think you can't do a bunch of extra work to, like, sack your creature or blink it or whatever. I think you want to play cards that you naturally are already getting what you want out of it. So that's cards like Meddling Mage Thalia that have static abilities, like you described, that are useful or very relevant or maybe even game winning uh a card like aspirant right that's adding a ton of power to the board especially aspirant with a lifelinker in play right so they're really forced to deal with the 4-3 you just created with your getting back aspirant um, i don't think you ever want to get back something that just like a Tarmogoyf, and like oh when you eventually kill my 3-2 i get my Tarmogoyf. i don't think that that is good enough but i hmm. think getting back something that at least does something when it comes into play thali's lieutenant as an example okay it makes us a 4-3 they have to answer the 4-3 lifelink they really do like uh, that races six power effortlessly it's just crazy to think about but it does um so you know that that's the you at least need a thali's lieutenant like effect if you want to play um charming prince to like go all in like and get all kinds of value i think that's reasonable but I guess my example of like a Tarmogoyf like creature that's just a big body like sitting there waiting patiently—I don't think that's worth it. I think you need to be doing something else. In that case, I think Renegade Rally is the better card.
0: Okay. Now, same question, but what about filling up the graveyard to ensure that I have a target? All right. We described a lot of great scenarios where you play your Extraction Specialist, get back the perfect card, and your opponent is just so devastated that they concede in despair. But what's also going to happen is you're going to have this in your opening hand. You're going to play a one drop, play a two drop. And on turn three, you will have the option to play this with nothing in the graveyard. Are we concerned about that? Like, Do we need to have a certain amount of self-mill or looting or just dedicated ways to put things into the graveyard?
1: Yeah, so that that's a little more subjective. For me, I was finding that like... You know, when we were playing those lists with Jace, I actually hated that Graveyard Hate was kind of okay against us, because we had, like, multiple cards that wanted to use the Graveyard. I've really liked it as, like, exactly the way you sort of were describing the previous things. If we're playing on Curve and you don't disrupt me, I want my Curve to be such that you can't beat it. If you do disrupt my Curve, now this card becomes good. If you bring in Graveyard Hate against me, then, like, whatever, you play uh, Hearse, and I play this, I just win that exchange by a lot because, like you say, a 3-2 lifelink just affects the board so much more than a 3-2 non-lifelink. So I don't like going all in on any graveyard stuff. I like this as just part of like a smooth curve. Um, Maybe we have some natural sacrifice for value type of stuff, but I don't want to play anything like Citrus Supplier. I am never going to play it again, for instance, with Jace, uh, Brin's Prodigy. I did not like that interaction. Even though, in theory, Jace is a fine target for it because... Jace is a card that doesn't need to attack. It gets to loot again by tapping. Um, I, I did not like that uh, graveyard hate, which is plentiful, bountiful, uh, is actually now good against. Like a, it's a reasonable thing to bring in. If this is the only card that actually mentions graveyard in your whole list, they're actually incentivized to not bring any graveyard hate. It just doesn't do enough against four cards.
0: So no to Jace, Friends Prodigy, and Stitcher Supplier. You said maybe or no? No,
1: I, I don't. I I'm just not a believer in Stitcher Supplier. I don't like milling compared to looting. Uh, I I really I'm, I just don't like these random effects where it's just like oh I just didn't mill the right three cards like I just can't win it just that just drives me insane.
0: Yeah, I mean the the mechanics that are really good at putting stuff in the graveyard in large quantities, decks like that don't tend to want three two life link for three, and they don't tend to have a lot of like two drops to get back or one drops to get back. So it's actually a, a fairly specific space like. I'm gonna call it aggro looting, you know. Weirdly, um, the two one with the connives, uh, what should I call it? Rafine's informant, right? That's like somehow the perfect two drop. I think Ledger Shredder is also in this space, right? These are cards that, you know, they do something. They're they're creatures. You can imagine curving that into a three drop and plausibly pressuring the opponent. And then you did loot at some point. You drew a card, discarded a card. Maybe you. By virtue of pressuring the opponent, encourage them to kill your two-drop, and now your specialist is ready to go.
1: Yeah, and you just think, like, the cards you mentioned, no one thinks, like, oh, man, they're playing Rafine's Informant, I need to bring in Rest in Peace, or Ledger Shredder, I need to bring in Hearse, right? Like, specifically, you're bringing in Hearse if they're playing Treasure Cruise, or Arclight Phoenix, or whatever, so I like the idea of like putting people in that bind, like, oh, how much are they going to use their graveyard? I don't know. I guess i turn off their Extraction Specialist. Again, like we said, turning it off is not very good because it's just a 3-2 for 3. If they're spending a whole card exiling our graveyard, we're up a card there again. We didn't have to get a card back. They, they had to tap two mana and cast Rest in Peace.
0: All right, last question. Are there any particular cards... One mana creatures, two mana creatures that you think work especially well with extraction specialists. Uh, we mentioned Rafine's Informant, Ledger Shredder, as possibilities.
1: Yeah, you and I have played with Archfiend's Vessel. When you get to do that on curve, so you spend three mana and you get eight power, three of it lifelink, five of it flying. Uh, that is not that far away, honestly, from um, the like Parhelion nut draws. Hmm um and it requires like way less setup right like you don't do it as often but your deck isn't all in like again are they going to bring in graveyard hate because i can just play archie's vessel on one like on two and it's like all right rest in peace i spend three mana on it like okay I, i'm hitting you every turn so yeah I, I do love vessel and um i think the charming prince is also very interesting as like a one of or two of in some of these lists again you have to be less interested in tempo, and I think you need a lot more come to play effects. We haven't named a lot of cards that come into play effects, and two mana come into play effects are not that good. Um, there's the like one in a white uh one one enchantment that draws a card when it comes into play, for instance. I just think like playing in that kind of medium range, it's just really hard to compete with how uh fast and efficient Pioneer is, and the value chains in, in Modern are like through the roof. So it's, you know. A two mana one one that draws a card that you're getting back for three mana is you know, it's not all that.
0: I did notice one brave modern player had Spirited Companion, that's the, the one on a white yes. draw card. They had that in their taxes deck with extraction specialists, and they did five O. So people are thinking along these lines, but I'm not sold that it's like certainly for Pioneer, I'm not sold on that.
1: Mm, I I'm not either. <laughs>
0: Um, I think yeah, creatures that are so dangerous that they just like compel the opponent to do something to them. Um, you mentioned melee Mage Thalia already. What was it last week? Emmy told us about like his modern Texas build. He played Tide Hollow Scholar, and yes. that also works really well, right? It's like, okay, you can ignore the Tide Hollow Scholar if you want to, but you're just down your best card. You're really incentivized to kill the Tide Hollow Scholar, and then the Extraction Specialist will get it back. And he was doing that even off Ether Vial, so he could do it on their draw phase.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you want a two-drop aspirant, something like that, where it's like they have to interact with it or the, or they're probably going to lose. Like, you, you want your plan A without it to be good enough to force them to respond. Because, like, we'll get into it when we get into the deck list, but, you know, every deck is just trying to do its best curve, right? Turn one, turn two, turn three. If you make them play off-curve to interact and then you get a two-for-one with your three-drop, which now becomes, like, that B plus A minus type of stuff that, that just puts you in great shape so uh, yeah is it, is it Thalia that's making them play off curve is it Meddling Mage uh, Is are you taking the best card out of their hand right with your two mana two two thoughtsies they, they can't just play their normal game right you're stopping them from doing that and as soon as they interact now you just have a built in two for one that's like a three two getting back a two two that takes their best card is, is a three for one right like that that's an insane play
0: yeah yeah that's nuts all right Shall we get into some lists? Let's do it. I think Pioneer is where we should start. Looks like we have three or four different Pioneer concepts, and one of them is actually a follow-up to the Rafine list that we talked about last week. So maybe should we just start with that? Because I, I know you got a little more data on an updated build.
1: Yeah, so I played a bad version of the list. I made some recommendations. You updated it and, and talked about Esper Week. Um, Still, you know, keeping some Jaces, etc. And I think you went 3-2. I went all the way. So I was like, why don't I just go all the way into Creature? So I played a deck that was 4 Fatal Push, 4 Archfiend's Vessel, 4 Bloodsoak Champion, 4 Fiend's Informant, 4 Aspirant, 4 Thalia, 1 Acquisitions Expert, 4 Extraction Specialist, 4 Raphine, 2 Clave Apparition, 2 Graveyard Trespasser, 23 lands. Um, I went 3-2, but the list actually felt great. I crushed two different builds of Spirits and the and I beat uh, Blue Red Phoenix, you know, very, very easily and lost to, you know, some non-functional mana against Niv-Mizzet and lost to Winota, you know, just drawing the nuts. And I don't think I had a great sideboard plan. Um, I have a proposed update here, but the the thing that really strikes me about this is how your plan on curve disrupts them, right? Like, the, the best draw for Blue-Red Xerox is turn one, Prowess Creature, turn two, Shredder, like turn three, Expressive Iteration, play a second spell, right? Hmm. If we're on the play and we go turn one, Archfiend's Vessel, turn two, Aspirant, make our Vessel 2-2 and attack, they can't just play Shredder into that. They actually have to stop playing Shredder, they have to kill Aspirant, or they have to kill um, the Vessel, and then... Our extraction specialist is awesome, and then let's say they do that. We can also play Rafine. So extraction, like what I realize is Rafine is insane, and Specialist is like a bad Rafine. Um, <laughs> but you you can't play any more than four Rafines, so it, it just gives you another like super powerful three drop to do on curve, and your two drops are so good they have to interact with them. Aspirant and Thalia are so good in the format right now; uh, they're just highly disruptive, and so it gives you a chance to often get your Specialist to be that two-for-one that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I also found that Extraction Specialist, Rafine Scheming Seer, and somewhat Archfiend's Vessel, like those were the power cards. The rest was just filler. I liked Luminarch Aspirant a fair bit. I was playing Jace, that wasn't so impressive, but it was like, okay. It did push me more into like the mid-range space where I was often trying to control the board, kill the opponent's threats. You've gone into an aggro direction where, I i mean, you still have the ability to kill creatures, but you're much more likely to just curve out with attackers every turn.
1: Yeah, really trimming down on three drops. So the only three drop that isn't specialist or a fiend is just the miser's um, apparition. Don't need trespasser. Don't need the body. Um, a bunch more uh, acquisitions experts because we have, Vessel is a cleric, Champion is a warrior, uh, Informant is a wizard, Aspirant is a cleric, Expert is a rogue, S- Specialist is a rogue. So we actually can get all four. <laughs> um, and I was actually finding that in the mid-game, I was literally just looting a ton, just trying to like stop New Visit from doing whatever. Because you actually just get to see their hand. You just two mana take their hand. And if this card dies, like when it chumps, that's an actual awesome card to get back with Specialist. It differs from like the one, two flying human because they get the card back. This is just like card advantage. Like you just even play it against Phoenix. They have to attack through it, right? With their prowess creature, you chump block, you get it back with specialist. You are just up a lot of cards. It's really hard for them to to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I was pleased when I saw that acquisitions expert kept increasing in quantity uh, in your list. And maybe that's a perfect segue to our next build because I've also been thinking about these creature types Been wanting to do this party deck for a while now, David, and I think this week is finally the week.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is a list you proposed, I think, right when we kind of were coming up with our first ideas of lists for the the whole format. I think you even posted it maybe on the Twitter feed. So why don't you walk us through it?
0: All right, so I'm in white-black aggro. You're going to hear a lot of similar cards to the Esper Rufin aggro that David was playing, but um, in order to streamline my mana, I'm not splashing into blue anymore. My one drops, Archpriest of Iona, Bloodsoaked Champion, four of each. Also playing one Usher of the Fallen and one Gutter Bones. These are just two ones that happen to have the warrior subtype, because what I'm trying to do is get a balanced mix of clerics, rogues, wizards, and warriors to take best advantage of the party mechanic, and I've got three different party payoffs in the deck. Actually, four different party payoffs in the deck. I think Archpriest of Iona is probably the best one. This is the one drop that uh, its power increases relative to how much party you have. And then if you ever get to a full party, you get to get an additional power every combat plus flying.
1: I think it can target any other creature, which is actually what makes it more relevant for me with Specialist.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't tried that yet, but that sounds so sweet. Yeah, I mean David, you've mentioned there's not that many good one-drops in Pioneer. This could be the champion of the parish style one-drop that Humans currently lacks. That's my hope anyway.
1: Well, I think I think you're making the right choices to to give it a chance to be that, right? There there isn't a, a champion of parish. This is as close as we get and I think you're you're bending some of your card choices to maximize that.
0: Yeah. So I've got 10 one-drops, uh 12 two-drops, Four Luminarch Aspirant, four Raphine's Informant, three Acquisitions Expert. That's the same two drops that David was just playing in his deck. I'm also playing one copy of Tenacious Underdog. I mean, weirdly enough, Warrior is like the hardest type to be happy with. Like there's plenty of Warriors, but most of them suck. So uh, beyond the four Bloodsoaks Champion, um, it was a struggle to find Warriors (laughs) for this deck. Uh, So those are my two slot On three, I have the four Extraction Specialist three copies of Mage's Attendant. This is two in a white, three two Cat Rogue. Enters the battlefield. you also get a one one blue wizard that can sacrifice itself to like counter a non-creature spell unless its controller pays one and you also have to pay one to do that. So it's a moderately disruptive thing, but what really intrigued me between Extraction Specialist and Mage's Attendant was that these are two different three drops that contribute two bodies towards my party potentially two bodies of different types and this is the thing that party has really struggled with is that however much you can like finesse the numbers to get the right number of each tribe at a certain point they all die to the same removal spells they all (laughs) die to push they all die to strangle or lightning bolt or whatever else your chances of assembling a full party are very very slim if you don't have cards that bring two bodies at once and finally i have cards that can do that so those are my creatures to to start the curve. What are my payoffs? Well, I already mentioned the Archpriest. I already mentioned the Acquisitions Expert um, that can see a number of cards based on how many creatures are in my party. What if we go even bigger? I want to play Coveted Prize. This is uh, perhaps the biggest payoff. It's four and a black sorcery, but it costs one less for each member in my party. And then if I have the full party, if I have all four types, I cast it for a single black, I tutor for any card, and then I get to free cast any card, CMC four or less. So I'm incentivized to have some spectacular tutor targets uh, that cost four mana that I can just covet a prize for one, go find my, in this case, squad commander, cast it for free, and just have a spectacular turn. Squad commander is also a party payoff. It's three in a white 3-3 three, three core warrior when it enters the battlefield create 1-1 one, one core warrior creature tokens uh, for each creature in your party, and then if you have a full party, at the beginning of combat, uh, you also get to give your entire team indestructible and plus one plus O. So I'm playing two copies of Squad Commander. And then for my remaining slots, um, one Skyclad Apparition, one Portable Hold, just to have a little more removal. 24 lands because the curve is somewhat high, but that does let me play 4 Mutavolt, which is uh, the the hidden party creature, the best creature for party decks, because of Changeling.
1: Yeah, it's a super interesting deck. So the the thing that's interesting about it is you're not playing basically any disruption at all. And one of the things that I was worried about for the format is have we kind of like solved all the proactive plans and really like the good finishes are just decks that are good at disrupting them? You know, we talked about this last week. There was like a Boros deck that was almost like had some hate bear type creatures. This list is saying like, look, I actually think my plan A might be competitive with your plan A. And, you know, we know that Coveted Prize is kind of the ultimate payoff, right? If you get to play one black mana to two your deck for a four drop uh, or even a three drop or whatever. I mean, it's just so good. Um... It just sucks, like, we can't splash blue or something, right? Like, Reflector Mage is a wizard and is a removal spell, you know, instead of having to play, like, Skyclave Apparition or Portable Hole or something like that. But I don't know that we have enough humans, right? Because, like, Squad Commander is a core. I don't know what Mage's Attendant is.
0: Well, here's my question. If I were going to splash a third color, how many mutivolts can I play? Because I really want to play as many mutivolts as I possibly can.
1: So oh, we'll be playing four mutants no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'm just saying if they're all humans, then you could splash with uh, the aid of the the other lands because you're, you're not really yeah. casting anything other than creatures, and a lot of your cards are creatures, right? Or humans: Archpriest, Blood Soak, Champion, Luminarch Aspirant, uh, Rafine's Informant, Acquisitions Expert, Tenacious Underdog, Extractions yeah, Specialist.
0: Almost everything is a human. Um, that's another big question mark, like. Why am I not playing human payoffs? Maybe I should just accept that I I don't need to get that big of a party and just trim some numbers to get four Thalias attendants in there, and like a general kudro or something.
1: Yeah, I think this is probably a better place to start, though. Like, it just I don't think anyone's ever tried to push it all the way and see like how reasonable it is. And I think you're right that we finally have the tools that we're getting two bodies to our. Um, Party plus the mutavault, right? So like, that's the hope. Yeah,
0: I expect that when I test this, what I will find is that um, Archpriest of Iona is very good, Acquisitions Expert is very good, and they're good enough that they actually don't need me. I don't need the top half of the party payoff. I'm guessing that's what's going to happen. The coveted prize will be sweet, but like a little too clunky, and then I'll, I'll maybe find that I'm drawing the Squad Commander too often when I'd rather just have a lower curve. But we'll see. I mean, this is what I'm going to test.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see. Uh, we'll get one screen. I bet you get one screen uh, screenshot of Coveted Prize doing the thing.
0: That is what I want. <laughs> for the content. Do it for the yes, content. do it for, for the people. Which I can then crow about next week on the podcast. Yeah, get on
1: YouTube. <laughs>
0: exactly. Just a, a repeating, repeating loop. Just like me casting the Coveted Prize one time.
1: This can be done.
0: All right. David, staying in Pioneer. Where are we going next?
1: I don't know exactly what the card numbers will be, but the one thing I'm very interested in is using Pyre to sacrifice a two-drop to get an Extraction Specialist. So, um, this is a list. So, our one-drops are Thraven Inspector, Unlucky Witness, they're humans. Our two-drops are Charming Prince, Priest of Forgotten Gods, which works very well with Unlucky Witness, Acquisitions Acquisitions Expert, and Thalia, just as a Tutor target, so the hope is we pyre our charming prince into extraction specialist. You know, blink our extraction specialist, get back whatever else is in our graveyard. Priest of Forgotten Gods is a powerful card, but like you always say, it dies. That's the kind of two drop that we're more interested in if we have extraction specialists in our deck. The rest of our like human curve, right? We got reflector mage, Xanthid Necromancer is a super cool human to have in a deck with pyre and priest because you get sacrifice value. Uh, Liliana, another card. Um, you have Winota is like a cool card you can target if you've got a bunch of 2-2s um, two from your Xanthid Necromancer running around. Um, and just like a one of Cloud Blazer on top. So I'm not exactly sure on all the numbers, but I'm interested in a Pyre deck because now we have an extra 1-drop we don't mind sacrificing, which is Unlucky Witness. Uh, and then I like a 2-drop, you know, some number of Charming Prince, Priest of Forgotten Gods, Acquisitions Expert, etc with some number of extraction specialists to get them back. Um, and Priest of Forgotten Gods is a little more attractive than it would normally be because we actually want that mana boost. We want to be able to play Pyre and use it. And so, like, to always have an extra use for that mana is just the clues from Thraven Inspector and uh, the Pyre itself.
0: Yeah, seeing some of the cards you're thinking about, it looks like you're not concerned about the color requirements in this deck. Like, Or maybe this is still a theoretical concept, but...
1: Well, these are all humans, so we get to play... Eight, you know, lands It's smooth for that. We have some number of black lands because the only colored spell is black, uh, Fatal Push. Uh, the sideboard probably would contain some of the uh, the black-white instant, I think it's called Dire Tactics or something, mm-hmm. um, that exiles a creature. But yeah, everything else is like more or less just going to get cast with the human lands or, or tutored for with the Pyre.
0: Yeah, I played against uh, just today, actually... It looked like a five-color humans deck. They were not playing Pyre of Heroes. Um, They were just playing, like, Collected Company and Mantis Riders and the like. But the mana looked pretty solid, so maybe you're right. Maybe as long as you're within tribe, this is the time to just go nuts with the four- or five-color tribal decks.
1: Yeah, the 5C humans deck that I think Claudio 5-0'd with and and, uh, has really, like, encouraged people to play, that actually has some really tight requirements because you're playing the, like... The 3-3, three, three, uh, it's like green-green for the 3-3 three, three human werewolf that, you know, if you attack with six power, you get to draw. And then you're also playing the Jeskai <laughs> Mantis Rider. So you really need to, like, draw all your tribal lands. This this deck is mostly Mardu with just a light blue splash. There's, no, there's not a single green card. And there's, like, a couple blue cards.
0: Yeah, that uh, Collect Company deck is maybe... Saying I'm just gonna pick the most powerful humans, but what you've got here is like the most synergistic humans. Right. Just much sweeter. I want to curve that unlucky witness into Priest of Forgotten Gods. That's the good stuff.
1: Yeah, and so you know the the numbers and stuff I'm still working on. I again I think a list like this needs to have the appropriate number of hate bears, right? So we have like a Kambal to tutor for or we have a Thalia to tutor for. You have to have ways to interact with some of the decks that can go over the top of you. It does suck that the human you'd want to tutor for to stop Winota is a card that stops Pyre uh, from working and, and um, Extraction Specialist.
0: Which card is that?
1: The 2-2 uh, two, two flash that prevents cards from, or it exiles creatures when they come into play if they weren't cast.
0: Oh, the Containment Priest.
1: Containment Priest, yeah. Yes, so you can bring it in out of your board and you can tutor for it, but then your Pyre is, you know, kind of a lo- useless uh, lump of rock.
0: <laughs> all right, so that's a synergistic Pyre humans deck. You've also got something that's a little more aggressive.
1: Yeah, so this is similar to the the list you proposed, but instead of the party mechanic, it's really all in on the um, the humans aspect. So our one-drops are Thraven Inspector, Bloodsoaked Champion, four Push. I think the card's just too good right now. One giant killer. Then our three-drops, three Thalia, four Luminarch Aspirant, four Thalys Lieutenant, four Sun Gold Sentinel, two Acquisitions uh, Specialist. And then our three-drops are Extraction Specialist, General Kudro, and Adeline. So we're just trying to play right on curve. One, two, three. Again, we have a bunch of two drops that we don't mind getting back. Getting back Thalia's Lieutenant, getting back Luminarch Aspirant, getting back Thalia in certain matchups. Sungold Sentinel exiling graveyards means that decks that care about their graveyard have to kill it. We get to get it back with Extraction Specialist, and then we get to go you know ham with it again.
0: Yeah, Sungold Sentinel was the card that jumped out right away. I just don't see that card very often. I played it in Standard at the Pro Tour, but like it was okay. It was above average, but I wouldn't like cut any other two drop for it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I saw it a lot. Um, in the dying days of Luris. I'm trying to think of who it was. Mason, the Twitter streamer uh, was playing a lot of like black, white Lurus humans when they, when he would play uh pioneer, which wasn't often and was really high on Sun gold Sentinel. I like having main deck ways to just exile cards. And again, a two mana card that does a, an effect that I'm interested in that I can always get back is very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, this this list feels like the successor to those Luris human decks where it's like staying pretty low curve. I feel like your turn three plays are all like super high impact. Like there's only seven three drops, but they're Extraction Specialist, General Kudro, and Adeline. Those all pack a huge punch. You've left room for 23 lands. I assume you get to play Mutavolts and, you know, possibly other creature lands in that, in that mana base as well.
1: Yeah, and not going into blue, like, yes, Reflector Mage is a powerful card. It's a cool card. I th- actually think it's just a little too defensive, especially if you're not doing, like, the Collected Company thing. Um, I think your deck just really wants to be low to the ground. And so, you know, if you buy back Luminarch Aspirant, I mean, that that really is the best two-drop, right? Luminarch Aspirant gets bought back by Extraction Specialist immediately makes it 4-3. So, I mean, if you're against another aggro deck, they have to kill your 4-3 lifelink. There's nothing to be done about it. And so they're leaving Aspirant in play. It's just a crazy, you know, conundrum to to put them in.
0: All right, so those are some pioneer concepts. Um, Before we leave the card, I do want to mention that you know, it has actually seen a little bit of success in formats as far back as Modern, even in Legacy. Um, Damon's not here with us this week, but uh, he's been tearing it up in Legacy. He just made yet another top eight in Legacy 1K. He's on just an absolute tear. I think he top eighted like five of his last six 1Ks.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: And apparently Death and Taxes in Legacy has just like really embraced Extraction specialists. I found like 20 different published lists, sometimes playing two copies, usually playing one copy. The key interaction there in Legacy is that, you know, you can tutor for it with uh, Recruiter of the Guard because it checks toughness. So you just find it when you need it. But it's of the right power level, even in a format like Legacy. What about Modern? Well, Death in Texas exists there as well. You know, Emmy tested that last week. I found two different lists published in the 5 O's that uh, were incorporating some number of extraction specialists. Um one was like a Yorian kind of a slower blink deck. It had the spirited companions that I alluded to earlier. Another one was like more like a stone blade variant. And two different takes on humans, tribal and modern incorporating the specialist with Pyre of Heroes. And that that kind of surprised me, I'll be honest. I did not think that you know Pyre of Heroes was. The preferred way to build humans in modern, but the player Shuto Shotokan got sixth place in the weekend challenge playing a, a Pyre of Heroes humans deck with two extraction specialists over the weekend.
1: Yeah, I actually watched them from the other side. I was watching Aspiring Spike Stream uh, while I was uh, rebuilding my sink. And uh he played this person and was just like, oh man, Pyre, that's kind of a cool card. And then like four turns later he was like, well, I have zero percent chance to win. Um just like he had to kill Thalia. He was on uh like a Phoenix deck. And then they just sacrificed a two-drop and went and got Extraction Specialist and got back Thalia. Plus he had a lifelink, like it's exactly what we're describing. So was he not gonna kill the lifelink creature and try to race them with Phoenixes? Was he gonna kill Thalia so he could try to bring back Phoenix? Like and then the entire time, there's always a threat of Lieutenant, you know, making the lifeline creature bigger. Uh, and then once, you know, Lieutenant's had its use, you can sack Lieutenant, get back, Extraction Specialist, get a Lieutenant back. Like, if you, if you have a wide board, so, like, Lieutenant, like, doubles its triggers for everybody. Uh, oh, yeah, man. just a super cool <laughs> list. And then tutored for Judith uh, for the last attack to uh, to kill him.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, a, a somewhat limited toolbox in the main deck just... One Judith, one Yagmoth Thran physician, and the two specialists, because your your primary plan is so strong. But then in the sideboard you find all of those juicy one ofs to tutor up. Dombringer cleric, Lavinia Thranth magistrate. There's a masked vandal here. Mage to the moon, Whirler rogue, Cathar commando. Yeah, cool builds. I I might be a believer now.
1: Dawnbringer Cleric is a card that is awesome against mono red because they have a bunch of enchantments and blows up uh Urza's saga is, is so cool. So you have Dawnbringer Cleric and Magus of the Moon. Like you just have a bunch of different ways to kill um to kill that land. That's I I really like that.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: And Dawnbringer Cleric, again, it kills the first one, they play another one, you sack the cleric, you get back, you get extraction special, so you get it back, kill it again. You're just on the landy plan. It's a
0: super powerful. Like, a human's deck, because of their mana base, just cannot play Renegade Railier. So there wasn't really an incentive to explore that line before. But it sounds super powerful. It sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, so this list, the, the thing that I like about it is, of course, in modern you get to play Other Vile. And so with Other Vile, you can really, like, make your pyre work with only, like, two or three lands in play. I think Spike lost both games and his opponent only had three or four lands. Um, and you can use your canopy and, and uh, silent clearings, right, to make sure you don't flood. The problem with Pioneer, right, is you have to play some kind of way to get that mana juice, and that's why I was playing the uh, the one in a black creature that sacrifices creatures uh, to generate mana. Because you do need to, like, use Pyre every turn or you're you're really not getting paid off for, for playing this card in your deck.
0: Yeah. All right, so that's Extraction Specialists. Uh, As is our custom, we will take a week, test this card, see how it performs, and let you know how it all played out when we come back next time. Speaking of which, it is that time, our flashback segment. We got to tell you a little bit about our testing from Jund Week. We got three lists to get through here. David, where should we go first?
1: Let's start in modern. This is the first list that any of us played. Um... I know even when we first started talking about the format, uh, Emmy was really excited about Riveteer's ascendancy with the um, the various uh, evoke creatures. We know about the evoke elementals. Uh, they're very powerful in general, so it's like a card that makes cards you want to play already uh, even more powerful was of interest. You built a jund list here. Uh, trying to exploit the way that the Ascendancy interacts, and you even have a bunch of other creatures that uh, can sacrifice themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I have four grief, four fury, and when I'm doing that, I don't just start from from scratch. Right, there are a family of decks that start with four grief, four fury, and they usually next go to cards like Season Pyromancer. They always have Ragavan, and they have you know some number of like Malakir Rebirth. Uh, undying evil and variant cards like that. A little bit of removal, and, you know, maybe like Dothy Void Walkers or something. Well, it occurred to me that between Grief Fury and Void Walker, that's already 12 creatures that have a built-in self-sacrifice. So those cards are all going to trigger the River here's Ascendancy. Even just sacrificing a Void Walker with Ascendancy in play gets me a Ragavan back. Ragavan tends to find its way into the graveyard very easily. So it seemed like it shouldn't be too hard to just Okay, add some green shock lands in. put the river here's ascendancy in. If I draw at a at the wrong time, no big deal. It pitches to both grief and fury, which is like my primary plan anyway. I wanted to juke the numbers a little bit, uh, much like we were saying with the extraction specialist, River here's ascendancy does really want you to have something in the graveyard, so I succumbed to Temptation and put a couple of Citrus Suppliers in the deck just to like, try to fill up the graveyard a little bit more. Um, I was playing one Croxa, that again, that self-sacrifices itself, two Deadly Disputes, two Grist the Hunger Tides. These are, again, cards that do something useful for the deck while also having that sacrifice condition that will potentially let me get value off the Ascendancy. And finally, one Shriek Maw. Basically, I, I took every slot that used to be like a Dreadboar or a Terminate and replaced it with Shriek Maw, Grist, because they do the same thing while sacrificing. So the theory seemed to make sense to me on paper. In practice, um, not so much. Played a league with this, and it was just an absolute disaster. I, <laughs> I'm looking at my results here. o two, o two, o two, two one. 2 2 2 0 for the clean uh, one and a four results.
1: So whoever that is it Merc Tide player is should feel really bad about themselves. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, they
0: do. They they lost to what was clearly an anemic deck just limping across the finish line. What happened? Well, for starters... Okay, I, I mentioned I was like working off existing decks and I heard this voice in the back of my head, Jerry Thompson from Arena Decklist. <laughs> and he's always like you know, kind of needling me, like, just build your own mana base. Like, I'll be describing something, and he's like, you gotta build your own mana base. Don't be lazy. Don't just copy a mana base. So I'm like, all right, fine. I'll, like, think it through myself and, like, build my own mana base. And what happens when you do that is sometimes you forget to put blood crips in the deck. I forgot to put my Red Black Shockland into my erecto deck. And the results were quite tragic. Um I realized this in game one and I was like, you know what? I can make it work. I've got you know, I can just fetch Greenlands instead. At least get some useful data. The data was you can't play this uh, without the <laughs> without the blood crabs <laughs> Season Pyromancer was like almost impossible to cast in my deck, which was very, very sad. Um but beyond that I was just looking to see like alright. What are the board states in which I have the opportunity to play Riftier's Ascendancy? How much can it do for me? And what I found was that it was really tough. Like, so many times I had to make a choice. Like, do I pitch the Ascendancy so that I can grief or fury right now and maintain board parity, like keep the battlefield under control, neutralize a threat, and like stay in the game? Or do I? Hold the ascendancy, try to cast it next turn, and then do like a sweet value line, like one or two turns down the road. How much faith do I have in the ascendancy's ability to like be a catch-up card? And I was just presented with this dilemma over and over again. Um, most of the time, if I was like being really honest, I just like the correct play was to pitch the ascendancy which is not a problem like that. That's one of the lines was one of the reasons I felt confident putting it in the deck, but it also suggested that there's not going to be that many game states where you can get like a a fantastic turn with Riveteer's Ascendancy. It's a little too slow.
1: Hmm. So yeah, you never got, you very rarely got to do the like turn three Ascendancy after they'd killed your Ragavan or Voidwalker or whatever. And then like grief plus, Get something back.
0: Yeah, it was it was extremely rare.
1: Hmm.
0: um The other thing that I discovered, which is obvious, it's right there on the card, but the card comes back tapped from River Tears Ascendancy. That never occurred to me, and it, it like blew me out really badly. I was playing against <laughs> like a like a goblin's deck, and I just needed to block. I, I had the River Tears Ascendancy. I Yeah, even got back, you know, I cast a Fury, got back a Grief or something, and I was like, okay, this will stabilize me. Except it didn't, because the card came back tapped. (laughs) So it was just, like, little things like that that I don't know, like, why they added that clause. Like, were they concerned about Riftier's Ascendancy being too good? Um, Or if they just, like, did it as a safety valve. But it, it just combines to make it, like, not quite good enough in Modern and the last thing that I learned was that even though, you know, I think of this as like a bad graveyard deck, like there are, there are graveyard synergies, but they're not powerful. Just because you're a bad graveyard deck, you're still going to fold graveyard hate. Your opponents are going to bring in all their strong graveyard hate and you're going to be very, very sad. I had, you know, sequences where I just like played the Ascendancy, sacked my Fury to Deadly Dispute, and I was like, going to get back a Fulminator Mage and have a great turn. They flashed an endurance, took out the <laughs> fulminar mage in response, and then like I was just destroyed. I had just given up my best creature, didn't get to destroy their land. It was just like a whole. It was a whole mess.
1: Hmm. Well, that's too bad. I know uh, Emmy was really excited about uh, this type of shell, and uh, to find out that it was, you know, so mediocre is is disappointing.
0: I kind of want to try again just because I feel like it can't be that bad. <laughs> like I must have like changed. I just must have tweaked a few too many knobs. Like Rakdos Grief Fury is a deck that sometimes wins. Like when I was looking for results, there were plenty of recent results. But when I was just like looking at my opening hands, they felt barely playable. So I wondered if it's like the margin for error is not that large in like attrition decks like this. I struggle with card flow. I, I kind of, really wanted more copies of Season pyromancer like maybe i need to put fable the mirror breaker back in um even dothy voidwalker just having shadow so it didn't help me at all on defense was kind of a problem I, I thought maybe i should change that to like a blood tithe harvester just give that card a chance um see if can earn a spot there's there's things to tweak maybe play more gris but uh yeah this build was not it
1: Okay, well, uh, you know, we appreciate you collecting the data, (laughs) even (laughs) as painful as it may have been.
0: (laughs) All right, on to happier news where there's more match wins to be had. Let's jump to Pioneer. You and I were both interested in the card Riveteer's Charm. So tell me what you liked about the Charm, and what did you end up playing?
1: Well, I like Charm for many reasons. One, I really like to draw cards, and this is a three-mana instant in a perfect world, draw three. Uh, but it also does other stuff, right? It's not just a draw spell. It can be a removal spell, and it hits all the cards you really want it to. Most of the time, it's going to hit Winota. Um, and that that's the big thing for me. So it's an instant speed way to hit Winota that's cheaper than Winota is. So that's, a, that's already a fine play. Uh, and then in a format where people are playing Ledger Shredder, Damage-based removal isn't that great, right? They can play Ledger Shredder on their turn and trigger it and then your Strangle isn't good anymore and your uh, various other, you know, shock effects, stomps, etc. Um, this always gets the, the highest uh, casting cost creature which uh, becomes relevant against uh, the Mono green list as well um, which I beat easily because this card just <laughs> handles their 5-drops uh, with the, you know, greatest of ease.
0: Yeah, it takes out the highest converted mana cost creature or planeswalker.
1: Yeah, and I I found at least in my league that I was using it for removal a good chunk of the time, but not always. So the fact that you can every once in a while, you're like one of your better removal spells is just like a draw two and a half cards is like really sweet.
0: Yeah, so I postulated that you put the Rivetiers Charm in your deck because you want the draw three. How often did you draw three?
1: Um, I would say like 30% of the time.
0: Oh, wow. That's a lot. So
1: if I was ahead, I would always use it as removal because uh, I was putting pressure on them. If I was at parity, it was almost always a draw three uh, that would win the game. And if I was behind, it wasn't good enough in any mode. <laughs> I, and I lost terribly. <laughs> all
0: right. So you're playing all four copies of Rivetier's Charm. The rest of your deck, I'm just looking at the creature's I mean, this is like a low-ish curve, mid-range good stuff, right? You're playing Bloodtithe Harvester, Graveyard Trespasser, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Bonecrusher Giants, three copies of Tenacious Underdog.
1: Yeah, I wanted something that was lower the ground. It was useful. So, like, when I beat uh, Mono Green and Niv Mizzet, I, just, I you just want to put a clock, right? You are the beatdown. They're going to win the late game. Um,. And I was fortunate enough to draw, you know, a few underdogs there. At the same time, I had to board it out a lot uh, against basically any deck where I felt like I boarded out against Mono green. I boarded out against Phoenix. I boarded out against Angels, and I boarded out against Spirits. Um, so <laughs> I don't, I don't know that you need three. I think you want a couple just as a a, a resource. It is two mana. That was the that was the thing that sucks sometimes is if you like. On turn three or four, like, on on their end of turn, if you charm to draw and you open up two, three drops, that that just feels really bad. And sometimes I even, like, had two, three drops and a land that came into play tapped. So if I want to get my, like, two for one, I have to maybe, like, play off curve. And your Mm -hmm. deck is already really clunky. Like, Fable is a super clunky card, especially on the draw. Um... So, yeah, I'd have to rethink my, like, two-drop situation. I did love that Bonecrusher Giant could always just two-mana shock something, including them, uh, just to, like, put it in layaway, and I'd get back to it later.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a kind of low-synergy deck, but that's the Jund way, right? Yes. I mean, did you feel like, in terms of power level, that... You you were like keeping pace or were you favored in an attrition game, or was it like you didn't have access to the most powerful cards in the format?
1: No, the deck felt very powerful. The games I lost was when I draw a few too many lands or a few too few lands. So I had to mulligan a ton of one land hands. I started almost every game with six cards. You know, that's just sort of bad luck. Um especially in a deck, you know, I'm only playing twenty-three lands, maybe I should play twenty-four, but I'm playing twenty-three lands plus two carry-added. That felt like the right number of mana sources to me. Um, but yeah, maybe I'd, maybe I'd add a 24th land and cut to one carry added. Maybe I'd replace Treacherous Underdog with a carry added and play another land. Just because you do have a lot of card flow. Um, the card that felt really clunky to me is Fable. The card reminds me a lot... Weird, This is a weird comparison. It reminds me a lot of 4-mana Gideon. Where on the play it feels awesome. Like I always want to play it on turn 3 on the play. And on the draw, it feels like I cannot win if I play this on turn three. Like, if my turn three play on the draw is cast Fable, I don't think I've ever... I won a single game where I did that. And I don't think I've ever lost to an opponent that's ever done that. It's just so slow. Like, you play a 2-2 that isn't a good blocker and probably can't attack. And then, like, next turn, you hope to flip through cards. And it's bad against spell pierce. Like, it just doesn't do anything. But, again, like, if I'm on the draw... Or, excuse me, if I'm on the play, it feels awesome. Because often I just get to attack into... Nothing. They're they're under some pressure, and then the the treasure lets me do something else. Hmm. Which makes me think I need to. I'm going to start experimenting with like. I don't think I want to cut from four fables because, like I said, it's so great. But I'm going to start cutting down on them on the draw. I actually don't think this card is like very good at all on the draw, but on the play, I think it's maybe your best three drop. So
0: interesting. So I played like a very similar list, and it had some similar cards, right? I was playing four Vivertier's Charm, four Fable, four Tithe Harvester. Looks like we both had, you know, a mix of Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. I played two Strangles, you played one Strangle and one Bloodchief's Thirst. I was playing Abrupt Decay Dreadboar where you were playing Bonecrusher Giants. Um, Oh, you also had Dreadboar. Okay, so a lot of similarities here. The difference was that because it was Riveteer's theme week, I wanted to get a couple more Riveteer's cards in there. Yes. And we had we found this interesting uh, Jund list from the 5 O's a few weeks back with Ziatora's Envoy. 1 black, red, green, so that's 4 mana, 5-4 trample, blitz for 5. So you can blitz it by paying 5, get to attack, sacrifice it, end the turn, and draw a card. Um, why would you do that? Well, it has the ability that when Zia Tora's Envoy deals combat damage to the defending player, uh, you get to look at your top card of your deck and potentially cast it for free. If it's a land, you can also play it for free if you have a land drop available. And if you can't do that, uh, you put it in your hand. Um, whether you can do it or not is determined by you know how much damage you dealt to them and whether that's greater than the casting cause. Anyway, that's my top end. Um is this card any good? That was my my big question. I played a league with this and it was not good. So I think I answered that question for myself pretty quickly. <laughs> it didn't take many hands of being like, "Oh god, this card is terrible." <laughs> um, I I was like I was really missing just like the the clean graveyard trespassers that you had in your list. So, when I played the deck, like, yeah, I I got annihilated by two tier decks. By is it Phoenix and Mono Red? Both of these decks just ran circles around me. After that, I was able to like find softer competition, like some kind of suspect creature decks, a green white life gain deck, a Vanifar Pod deck, and a five color Humans Company. Where the plan there was pretty clear, just. Try to draw as much removal as you can, and just like hope you have something left over at the end. So I was like actually satisfied with Fable in in those games, but maybe you were not finding matchups like that in your league.
1: Well, like I lost to Band Angels. <sighs> yeah, like it felt really bad against Phoenix, um, and it felt like very mediocre against like Mono Green, for instance. And it and it feels bad against spirits like it's just so clunky against those decks, and I think I would probably side out a good chunk of time against Winota as well. Like,
0: yeah, just looking at the matchups, I, I think I faced more favorable or perhaps easier non-tier decks uh, in in my league. Those are the matchups I was able to win at least. So I, I did salvage the three-two out of it, but
1: so we went we went five-five. So it was a classic Jund week after all.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly.
1: <laughs> I will say, like, Riveteer's Charm, to me, felt really good. I was really excited to cast it. I did not always, you know, like I said, sometimes I just played another three-drop off of it and a land. That's not the greatest. It makes me wonder if there's, like, more instant speed stuff you could do with it. Um, like, maybe I should be playing, like, the full four Bonecrusher Giant just to have, like, other stuff to leave mana up for. Are there other, like, I don't know, flash threats in those colors where, like, the three mana is not as good? I guess then you're, but you have to play all those cards on your turn. But yeah, like one time I played it with five mana up and just like flashed it on end of turn and then just shocked with the giant still on their end of turn, like against spirits and then got to untap, like play the land and a thing. Like it just felt like so much value, but I I don't know.
0: That sounds great. I mean, yeah, I I didn't even play Bunkersha Giants, so I did not have those sweet lines available. <laughs> My charms were like, I don't think I ever drew cards off them.
1: Just It was just a removal spell for you? Or I see you have a screenshot here of you exiling their graveyard.
0: Yeah, it won me a game against Phoenix. I was able to take out two Phoenixes at once. But I lost the match just because it's actually just not a good use of a turn. Like, yeah, As much as we like the ability to like take out the graveyard in an emergency, you can't do it proactively. You can't stop a treasure cruise with it because they're just going to keep cantripping, keep casting pieces of the puzzle. So it's like not even useful for that. You have to get very, very lucky to like catch the Phoenix in the in the graveyard. And even then you didn't gain card advantage. You you lost card advantage.
1: Yeah, I think like even playing this you still need the four trespasser. Like that's the way to pressure their graveyard in a proactive way that forces them to play into it.
0: I agree. Trespasser was one of my more important cards. Zeator's Envoy, not so much. I mean, I, I played four copies, so I drew this card, like, all the time. I felt like I always had Zeator's Envoys.
1: Were you playing it on four, or were you, like, waiting till a five to try to, like, fl- you know, rush it in there and get, like, you know, a five mana on a draw card, play a four drop? Wait.
0: No, I was playing it on four. I think one time, like, I really, really needed to trigger a Fatal Push. I think my opponent had a Thought Not Seer in play, so I needed to kill that this turn. And so the Blitz ability was handy in that one very, very narrow scenario. But, like, who who plays Thought Not Seer in Pioneer? That's, like, not a real
1: it's yeah, like it's a just, fictional scenario. It's just though. crazy. Like, the, the thing where you, like, Blitz it in is, like, okay, I, I spent five mana. It's, like, five mana, draw a card, maybe replace the five mana I spent. Like, you you don't go up anything.
0: I know. I even had a Weathered Runestone in play. So. <laughs> Like, I couldn't even cast the card off for free. I had to, like, put it in my hand and then cast it from my hand. Which was, you know, not a complete disaster, but... Yeah. Uh, so, that card is a miss for me. I think any other 4-drop would have been better. Eska's Chariot or whatever. And just play more Graveyard Trespassers. But the card we were most excited about, Riveteer's Charm. Um, for me, it, it was quite functional as a removal spell. Always got the card I wanted. It was always a good removal spell. Just a little bit clunky. And, yeah, I wasn't, like, totally convinced of the power level of Jund as a, as a strategy.
1: Yeah, like, you are making your mana appreciably worse. And the green card you're adding that you're really excited about is Riveteer's Charm. Uh, you know, I played a two-drop that had a green symbol in it. You had uh, Grim Flares. You know, that that's just a very medium card. You know, Abrupt Decay has applications, but isn't that much better than Red Black. You know, it's not that much better mm. than Dread most of the time. Um Yeah. So yeah, it, it, unless Riveteer's Charm is blowing your socks off, adding green is not adding much. I think that makes me want to try like a full-on like Sylvan carry added list because carry added on to Riveteer's Charm on their end of turn and still like having the option to push or Thoughtseize or something is interesting to me. The extra mana makes me kind of dream about playing this Envoy <laughs> on three, maybe. Oh, um,
0: probably Don't not,
1: <laughs> But I think I think there's something to be said for, like, maybe you get to play a bunch more mana sources if you have Cheers Charm to, like, fly through your deck. Because the 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 games where I did draw a carry added on two, like, you did just get to, like, deploy all your resources. So that's that's at least something to consider for me. It just sucks to have to play, like, you have to make sure you have a green source on two. So then your, like, numbers get pretty wild in terms of, like, I didn't play any Trilands. Hmm. Because again, I was trying to make sure when I got my charm, I could deploy a land, hopefully untapped, and still do all the things.:
0: Yeah, what's the reason to play green? that's a That's a important question. For me, like culling ritual and cyborg was probably my best green card, but that's very matchup dependent. I felt like I was playing a bad Rakdos deck, basically, but I like what you're saying. I mean there's maybe something to explore.
1: But yeah, all in all, I think we've found that uh, Jun continues to be very mediocre, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody in Pioneer and Modern should continue to play it if they enjoy going 3-2, which is the Jun 5-0, and we did that.
0: hmm Exactly. <laughs> it went exactly to plan. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never. never. Uh,
1: some people try to play, like, synergy-based decks, and we just, like, thought sees them, and Fatal push their, their sweet cards, and then just beat them down with some... Mythic rare, two-mana two creature. That's just, that's it. That's all you need to do.
0: It would have been weird to go better than three and two. Like
1: I, It would have felt odd. Yeah. Oh, man, I just stomped mono green in my first game. I was like, oh, man, this list feels sweet. And then I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> non-functional hand, non-functional hand. Like, Phoenix just curbs you. And I was just like sitting there looking at my three like red, red trespassers in my hand. And turn five, I don't have a third land. It's like, oh, this, okay, this feels right. <laughs> yeah. This is how it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Well said. All right, that's going to do it for uh, for us for today. Um, a fitting end to Jund week, but maybe we'll have some better luck as we test extraction specialists in the weeks to come.
1: Yeah, I'm excited.
0: All right, we'll leave it here. Take care, David.
1: All right, take care, sir.
0: Decklists for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next week for our testing results. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family in our Discord community and come brew with us. Sign up at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.